Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your sex and marriage. And for your sex and marriage? For your sex life. For your sex life and your marriage. That's better. And I'm joined here by my husband, Keith, who has much better grammar than me. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and this has been an exciting week. Maybe that's why my brain's not working on all cylinders. Uh, we have just launched The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Girl's Guide yeah. to Great Sex. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, they've been doing well. We've Excited. had so many encouraging emails. It's just been, I was really stressed about this week, but it's yeah. been really good. Yeah, they've, they've hit the ground running. It's been really good. Yes, so you can get the audio version or Kindle version immediately. Um, the paperback, you'll still have to wait for that to get shipped, um, mm-hmm. unless you can run out to a bookstore and find it right now. I'm sorry for all you Aussies and and Brits and other people from around the world. I think it's not available till April there, but oh, but okay. yeah, I know we yeah. get it first. But wow. hey, it's 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 coming, and they're great. Yeah, and we're getting a lot of good reviews. People are really liking the books, and, mm-hmm. and it's really helping a lot of people. And of course, evidence-based yep. is the big thing yep. because Great Sex Rescue, the book that launched last year, was based on our survey of 20,000 women and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. We surveyed 3,000 men. Mm-hmm. Not quite as many because the book wasn't going to be as controversial, so we didn't <laughs> need to have... Well, and as I said before, you try to get 3,000 men to fill out a survey. That's yes, pretty impressive, exactly. actually. We got some really interesting findings on lust yeah. and porn, and I want to share those findings with you all, our new research of the week segment but to do that i'm actually going to bring on two guys andrew mm-hmm. bowman and uh carl thomas mm-hmm. and i'm gonna i'm gonna share it with them and get their reactions right yeah. away they so, haven't seen these stats yet you're just gonna load them on them and say what do you think that's right, right. so let's turn it over to that <laughs> Well, I am thrilled to bring on the podcast this launch week for the Good Guys Guide to Great Sex. Two of my Ooh. favorite guys who work in this area. We've got Andrew Bauman, who is the director of the Christian Counseling Center for, I always get this wrong, sexual addiction sexual and trauma. Health and, sexual sexual health, and health and trauma. You almost got it. I almost got it. I think this might be my fourth visit. I'm going to start holding you holding you to it. Next, yeah, well, next, I, next visit. And I talked to so many people who say, I follow Andrew now and my husband's read his books. That's great. And then Carl, I've met more recently. Carl, you were on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Carl Thomas works to help men overcome sex addictions. He recently took over at xxxchurch.com and is just doing great work there. His new book, When Shame Gets Real, is right behind him. And Andrew, your new book, How Not to Be an Ass. Those are the two yes. most recent books I have read. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. nice. So, so yes, you guys are on my, my Kindle and I've been reading that. So those, those are awesome books. I highly recommend. Okay. So here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get you guys on so that I could just get your reactions to the stats that we got on porn and lust and see what you think. So we surveyed 3000 men and most of them came, you know, sort of from my blog and from our email list, which has a lot of people that have been through trauma and stuff. So it's not just happy marriages. And what we found, are you ready? Is that 49.6% of married evangelical men are currently using porn in some way. Now the vast majority of them, 16.7% intermittent bitches and 26% say rarely. So it's only just under 7% that use it at least weekly, but still looking at 50% use it at some point. Yes. And I know that that got you in some heat with the recovery (laughs) abuse uh, community. 
and yet, you know, this is what uh, being on the front lines, I'm not, I'm not that surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know there were a lot of folks were saying that seems low and yet, you know, what, when, when you come to the definition, like what is addiction or what is, you know, the common use or, you know, people literally like, oh, I'm not addicted to porn. I, I only use it weekly or I only use it, you know, every, every other day. And it's like, everyone has different definitions of addiction. Everyone has different definitions of what does it mean to use porn? And I like to actually widen the definition and blow that out of the water and say, do you objectify women? Do you consume, do you devour women rather than honor beauty? Do you devour beauty? And if that is the definition, then yeah, we're, we're many of us men are addicted to devouring and conquering beauty. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get to that in a sec. Carl, here, here's something um, I'll get your, your comment on here. So speaking of what Andrew said about some guys say, yeah, I use it every other day, but I'm not addicted. We asked the question two different ways. We said, do you use porn and how often? And also do you have a problem with porn? (laughs) (laughs) And so of the guys who use it daily, 24% say, no, I don't have a problem. (laughs) And of the guys who use it weekly, 37% say they don't have a problem. 59% intermittently and 93% rarely. So what do you think? What would you say to a guy who uses it daily or weekly and says they don't have a problem? Well, you know, there's like, actually there's, I don't want to step back, but there's a further caveat here, if you will. Um, Something Andrew already kind of touched on, but it's how we define porn to begin with. And one thing that drives me up a wall is not just how we define porn, but how we define all these things where we, we look for, hard definitions, you know, and and we want like simple yeses and simple no's. And that's not the way life works. You know, um, your, your numbers really, I mean, I haven't looked at all of them, but that, that top one, that 50%, that's consistent with several studies that have been done over the years, including Barna's study, I think five years ago, they did a study of about 3000 people. And it was, it was about 50%. The number went up the younger you went, but it was still roughly 50%. But what was interesting, and I, again, I haven't seen all your numbers, but one of the things that was really interesting about that study was that 84% of those that they polled said they defined porn as video pictures, et cetera, right? Uh, but then when you got into other quote unquote forms of porn, that number steadily dropped. Mm-hmm. So uh, for instance, 18, only 18% of the people they polled considered basically risque images porn. So no nudity, but a fitness model. That's not porn. That's just looking at a girl in a bikini, right? But like Andrew said, they're objectifying. And uh, that that always drives me crazy because when people say, well, what is exactly porn? I say, you're asking the wrong question. It's not what is porn is what's porn for you. Because yeah. if you're sitting there masturbating to models in a JCPenney catalog that are fully clothed, guess what? That catalog's porn for you, but it's not porn for me. All right. I don't masturbate to JCPenney's catalogs. I don't even order them. But regardless, um, you know what I'm saying? So I think that really complicates the whole the whole picture. Uh, so then when you get into, well, what's the problem? Again, it's this definition. Well, I need to define what a problem consists of. I, yeah. You know, you have a guy sitting there going, I don't think it's a problem. I look at it every day. If you asked me in college, I would have told you the same thing yep. because back then I didn't think it was a problem. I thought it was just, why not? It's there and I like it. And 
I'll drop it whenever I feel like, you know, I didn't think it was a problem. Uh, it wasn't until years later where I started realizing that, oh, okay, this is something I really can't put down. And then I got into, then I got married and then it really became a problem. Right. So how do we define problem? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, if, if it's blowing up your life, that, that sometimes is the, that's the litmus test, right? Is it blowing up my life? And mm -hmm. Sometimes it, it's not, quote unquote, blowing up your life, but it's affecting you in all these other areas that you don't even realize. Right. So it, right. from your perspective, life's pretty normal. It's like a functional alcoholic. Right. Like they're not missing their they're not missing clocking in work. Their family's not running out the door. They haven't gotten in a car accident. They're not going to jail, but they're a functional alcoholic. Right. Same thing. Yes. So there's a whole bunch of functional porn users out there where their life's yes. not about to fall off the cliff but it's still very jacked up when you look at all the subplots. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's where they, in a sense, and so many people in the, in the church as well have normalized it, right? It's become mm -hmm. so normal. Oh, well, you know, it is every man's battle. It is this normal thing to consume women, um, to make them less than, to objectify. And that's why we've got to continue to try to change this conversation that it, that no, it, it's not normalized, even if it is, isn't blowing up your life. Um, it is changing the way you relate. It is creating the pornographic style of relating. The pornographic mindset will block you from how you can engage the world, uh, both the feminine and the masculine in a healthy God-honoring way. Yeah. And I want to pick up on that because I know this is something that you, you, this is your, this is your soapbox, Andrew. You say this all the time. You say it so well. Exactly. Totally agree. Pornographic style of relating. So we identified several key teachings in the great sex rescue, which were harmful for women. And we measured those same teachings for men. So for instance, the belief all men struggle with lust, it's every man's battle. 62% of women believe that, but so do 73% of men. So 73% of men are saying, yes, I, all men struggle with lust. The belief that a wife should have frequent sex to stop her husband from watching porn or keep her husband from watching porn. 18% of women believe that 29% of men do. So almost Gross. a third think that she should have sex to stop me from watching porn. And then the Gross. famous obligation sex message that a wife is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. 21% uh, of women believe it. So do 24% of men. Yeah. So we've got a quarter of men believing that they are entitled to sex Oof. when they want it. Yep. Oh, it's, it makes me sick. It's gross. Yeah. And yet how, how normalized is that? You know, and I've said this on previous podcasts, but if, you know, that, that Barna study that I think you guys referred to earlier, I think it was, was it pastors? The 50% of pastors have some type of relationship with porn, something like that. It's like, if it's coming from the leaders and half of them have some type of relationship with porn, how are they going to engage women? Of course, they're going to send that message. Yeah. Of course, they're going to talk about obligation sex, right? If they have not dealt with their own shame, they're going to project that onto women, onto modesty conversations, onto all these things that women should control themselves rather than they actually do their own work. Yeah. And what we found kind of, what we found really interesting too, is that when you look at the effects of porn, it actually looks like porn is not the main issue, which mm -hmm. is what Andrew's saying too. Cause, and I can't, Joanna would get upset at me if I say too much because she hasn't run everything in statistical significance and all of that, which I don't understand, but she gave me like a bird's eye view, which I will try to explain. But when we separate out porn and the obligation sex message, and you should have sex to keep them from what to keep them from watching porn, 
porn on its own is not as damaging as obligation sex on its own. Like the obligation sex message, if you believe that without watching porn, even if you don't watch porn, it's like that is the really toxic thing. And when you combine the two things, you have this perfect mix of absolute (laughs) junk, you know? So it's like guys are watching porn and then they feel entitled to sex. And when those two things go together, things get really bad. And yes. like, do you find that Carl, cause I know you're so involved in, um, in recovery groups. Do you find a big part of the recovery is helping men confront entitlement? Yes and no. I mean, in our recovery communities, I don't see a lot of guys explicitly saying she owes me, <laughs> but there's kind of an understood or subconscious, if you will, messaging that that happens where it's, oh, you know, my wife's not having sex with me and I'm so frustrated. And, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with her? You know what I mean? So I think it's there. It's just not, uh, it's not explicitly stated. I mean, I think, and, and some of that might just be the culture of our community. Cause I think most of the guys in our community know if someone posted, my wife hasn't had sex with me in a month, she owes me. I think they know that there would be a lot of replies saying, dude, what is wrong with you? So <laughs> not 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 in such a shameful way, but, you know, uh, I think they know they'd be challenged. So maybe some of that, but it's there for sure to a, to a certain extent. Yeah. And how much do those two things go together? Like, Andrew, have you seen or how how does this obligation sex message get passed if it isn't related to porn? Because I have mm-hmm. seen that. Well, a lot of, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's rooted in this patriarchal theology um, that has come down that, that says, you know, that takes the verses, what Corinthians, Timothy, you know, first Timothy, like it it manipulates these verses into coercion, into sex, into, I, I get free reign to treat my wife like a porn star. Like she gets, she needs to meet um, the Bible in a sense. So, so you're using theological reasoning, you know, um, I've told this story before, but I remember dealing with an abuse situation in my practice early on my first few years of my practice. And the guy would pray out loud to his wife to submit to him so that, um, she would, um, engage in his foot fetish before sex to suck his toes, you know, and again, I want to be too graphic. And yet like, he didn't, it, it was disgusting to her. And yet he would use scripture to manipulate, to harm, to abuse um, her, to submit to his own sexual fetish. And, and, and I see that all the time, which is why, you know, for me, this intersection of sexual health and, and trauma and abuse is so important because we got to get to these core issues that are causing this sexual brokenness, that are causing the sexual mm-hmm. addictions, it all comes from core wounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that's something that both of you talk about so well. Okay. I got another one to share with you. So the all men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle, right? Um, 73% of men say that's that, that, that statement is true that all men struggle with lust. When we asked, do you personally struggle with lust? Yeah. 75% said, yes, I struggle with lust on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So not all men, it's not hundred percent, but, but 75% of men say yes. But then what we did, cause we wanted to, to really dig down deep on this one is we gave 
like five different scenarios and we took them right out of every man's battle and for women only. So, so we took the scenarios out of the books that have taught this stuff. We said, okay, like, like we had one where you're in a grocery store parking lot and a young mother is bending over to get her toddler out of a car seat. Cause every man's battle talked about how this is a situation where men would lust. So, you know, we gave that scenario um, we gave the waitress at the restaurant that Shanti Feldman talks about if women only, but we gave a bunch of different scenarios. And then we gave options of how you would act in these different scenarios. What's the most likely thing you would do. And when we look at that 75% of guys who say they have a daily struggle with lust, less like just almost half of them would not lust in any of our scenarios and don't have a problem with pornography. So they saying that they lust, but they don't show any signs of it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. like not even and, and and we were also measuring like are you fixated on this woman do you have these pictures coming back like it just isn't happening mm-hmm. and so my what i'm thinking we're doing as a church is we're shaming men for being attracted to women mm-hmm. yes <laughs> and so if we're doing that no wonder so many guys feel such shame because they're told when they're 11 12 13 years old if you get if you see a woman and you think she's pretty or you notice her cleavage then you've sinned and what's that poor 13 year old boy supposed to do? <laughs> the lust thing is, uh, you know, I think if you ask that question or if you ask that question to me, I might tell you, I think all men have the potential to lust, just like we all have the potential to steal or lie or mm-hmm. cheat on our taxes. I mean, this isn't it's just part of living, right? There's always things out there that you can engage in or choose not to engage in. But it doesn't mean that you're that that it's signed sealed and delivered that you're going to engage in it and uh we talked about lust we we ongoing but we had one month where we talked about lust a bunch in uh in live free and and that was one of the big things was okay guys let's let's back up here and define what lust is and realize that just because you're attracted to someone or even if you feel some sense of desire that's not necessarily lust it's when it goes too far when you start fixating you start objectifying objectification is the big thing right Mm -hmm. um and then we even got on to okay well what do i do without going on and on obviously i think guys that struggle with porn yes that's going to be a bigger thing but that a lot of that has to do with your brain chemicals and the fact that when you see a certain visual um it triggers an automatic response that you know it's kind of tied to your to your issues shall we say but for the average guy if you're at the gym, like I go to the gym every day and there's a lot of women who don't wear a whole lot and you know, there's the whole, well, Hey, bounce your eyes. And I, I hate that type of thinking where it's, I think you pointed out so well in your book where it's this, it's just kind of reverse objectification. You're Mm -hmm. before you're objectifying them as a, as a, as an object for your, to enjoy for your sexual pleasure. Now you're objectifying them as like this object to avoid right? Yep. Um, but I told guys, I said, listen, if you're struggling with porn and you're at the gym and you see a girl and she's really attractive and you sense that attraction, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know what? Um, not, oh, I'm going to bounce my eyes and look away, but hey, listen, I recognize she's attractive. Um, I recognize that there's something pleasurable about looking at her, but I also know that she is a, she's a human being. She has a mind and a body and a soul, and she's much more than just that. And out of respect for her, I'm going to maybe take my work out over here. So I don't let my mind wander where it's not supposed to wander. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, that's, if you're a guy, it's like really struggling with that stuff. But <laughs> yeah. again, it's all the context though. Right. So it's 
Choosing to look away out of respect is one thing. Choosing to look away out of self-preservation is quite a different. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I truly, I truly believe God created us to be aroused by beauty. Mm -hmm. Like we are, we are meant to be aroused by beauty. Like there's yeah. a reason why, you know, I live in the mountains of North Carolina part of the year and Seattle, the other part of the year. It's like, I love mountains. I love beauty. It arouses me. It awakens me. It mm -hmm. makes me feel closer to heaven, closer to God. And I truly believe there's no difference in, in that of like beauty will arouse you. You'll feel it in your body all, all throughout. That's not the problem. Mm -hmm. um, I just no. posted, I think this morning on my social media, like if a naked woman literally just exposes herself to me, it is not her response. My sin is my responsibility. I can choose what to do with her naked body. I can choose how to engage her with honor. Um, I can choose how to devour her in sin. I can choose to objectify her. It does not matter. In, in that regard, what she now she sounds like she has some issues if she's just walking around exposing herself to people, but, <laughs> but she needs to deal with that. And I'm responsible for my, what I do with her body, right. In my own head, in my own fantasy life, mm -hmm. um, how do I engage her beauty? But the, the fact of just arouse arousal is not the issue. What yeah. do you do with your arousal? Okay, here, I have yes. another stat on what this idea that um, all men struggle with lust, that lust is inevitable. Here's, here's something else it does. When men believe that, they are 67% more likely to be dissatisfied with their wife's level of enthusiasm in the bedroom. Ooh. So if you believe that lust is every man's yeah. battle, you're more likely to think my wife's not hot enough in the bedroom. Wow, that's important. That feels really important. Yeah. And you're 41% more likely to say that my wife isn't comfortable sharing what she wants in the bedroom. So communicating her needs with me. So when you believe that lust is every man's battle, you really do put up this wall yes. between the spouses and now sex can't be this intimate mutual thing anymore. So it really is harmful. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So here's, here's what I want. Here's what I want to, um, end on as we, as we wrap up, one of the problems and one of the reasons that we wanted to, to go so deeply into this, um, area in our survey, cause we didn't, in other areas, we just asked like one question and this one, we asked like 10, you know, <laughs> is because the, the conversation around lust and porn to me has been so focused on it's every man's battle. All guys do it. And, oh, I, let me back up. I didn't share this one with you. Um, when I told you the 50%, use porn today, 85% of 25 to 29 year olds have had a problem with porn before in the past. 64% yep. um, of those 60 to 70 have. So in, in it, basically the more, the, the more you were a teenager during the internet years, the more likely you yep. were to have had a problem, right? So there's a lot more people who have used it than who currently have a problem, but we hear those 85% numbers. And then we present it as this is something that all guys go through. And to me, that's a really defeatist message. You know, I know that there's still so many guys dealing with this, but, but what do we tell them that isn't defeatist? How can we empower guys to know, Hey, this is something you can get over. Cause we did find that men could get over it. Like we found that if you get rid of porn use and you get rid of the obligation sex message, your sexual satisfaction is just about as high as people who have never used porn. 
Now it's better if you get rid of the porn before you're married than after, like in, in terms of sexual satisfaction today. So the sooner, the better, but it's not like you're, it's not like it's hopeless, but how, how do we get guys to see that? Cause the numbers just do seem so big. I think a lot of it goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. Like obviously we're talking about inside the church, outside the church, two different conversations, but I think a lot of it comes down to the willingness to have these conversations in a healthy way to begin with, you know, and that's, that's one of the big problems is we, we avoid these topics. We avoid these conversations because they make us feel uncomfortable because there's so much shame built around them because there's so much misunderstanding about them. And then specifically in the church, I think a lot of it comes down to just quite frankly, lack of, lack of training when it comes to sex and sexuality in general. You know, I know this is about your book, so I ain't, I'm not plugging anything, but I just in in my book, mm-hmm. I talk about the fact that I went to seminary and then I looked up a lot of courses, like a lot of MDiv from different, let's just say, leading seminaries to see what the requirements were, what the core requirements were. And almost none of them had a core requirement about sex, sexuality. In fact, I found one university, one well-established seminary where they had a degree. It was an MDiv in, I want to say internet ministry, something like that. So you would think, okay, if you're dealing with online ministry and internet, you definitely should probably be tackling the porn topic on some basis. Nothing, nothing, no, no elective, no core requirement, nothing. So you have a whole bunch of guys who in theory are schooled up on their Greek and Hebrew, but they're going into church never been taught about what healthy sexuality looks like, what the purpose of sex actually is, right? Like if we understood that, we avoid a lot of these conversations or a lot of these misunderstandings to begin Mm -hmm. with. The obligation Mm -hmm. sex clearly doesn't fall in line with God's purpose and intent for sex, right? But you got people that they don't have the education on it. No one talks about it. Things aren't exchanged. So then you're a guy out there, you're seeing these numbers get thrown around. You're seeing harmful messages out there by books like every man's battle. And the assumption is, man, I, I don't stand a chance and you're not talking about it to find out from anybody that, Hey, listen, it doesn't really have to go down that way. You know, there's always options. I mean, we live in a society where sexualization is, is all over the place. Heck we see sexualization in church all the time, even though we don't want to talk about it. Right. But no one, no one wants to address that. Right. It's listen, like this is a thing that we got to deal with in our society, but you can deal with it. There are there are healthy choices you can make. You don't have to go down that road. But unless they're hearing that message from somebody, they're just going to assume the worst and they're not going to hear that message because no one wants to talk about it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would I would add, you know, th- there's a difference between the uh, toxic shame that leads to humiliation. And that's this, that's obviously the stuff that'll only lead to more, more addiction, more use, more objectification versus a healthy shame that leads to humility. And, and that's the, the piece, you know, healthy shame or, or guilt of just kind of feeling the weight of what you've done and what you've participated and then doing the hard work to get to the core of these unwanted sexual behaviors and really undoing and healing what's leading you there. You know, so some of the first work we do in my therapy practice is, you know, what's what type of porn are you using, you know, or what's what's your deepest, darkest sexual fantasy? And we start, we literally start there 
and we, we go right to the heart of that shame. People are so uncomfortable talking about it. And yet that's what leads us into the wounds of why they're using to mend that type of wound. It's all connected. It's mm-hmm. all, it's all connected. What would you say? I, I like the distinction of the two different kinds of shame. And, and Carl talks a lot about this too in his book. Um, you both do a great job of it, but what I'm seeing as well from the outside is that for so many pastors and youth pastors who are struggling with pornography, if they admit it, they lose their job mm. in a lot yeah. of cases. Yeah. And, and yeah. missionaries as well. Yeah. See, and mission so, all the time. And so I think that's one of the things that keeps leaders trapped. I get letters all the time from wives of these people and they can't, like, I don't know a way out of that. (laughs) I mean, unless besides, right. Besides normalize changing the conversation and, and literally like, we've got to make it. Yeah. Less shame-based more, more nuanced, more like actually provide better, better help. Um, mm-hmm. in this because you're right it is it feels like such a trap and then they double down in the secrets mm-hmm. you know or mm-hmm. and it's just like ah oh, the whole point to breaking free is being fully authentic fully you you know and i can say now after my 13 year addiction to pornography because i'm no longer a pastor now i'm a you know mental health mm-hmm. therapist in a sense now i can be free and yet when i was a pastor there is such a stigma and a, and then it pushed me to be more inauthentic which only push, pushes me to use more. It's now, the opposite of what we need. Now, I think both of you agree with me. XXXChurch.com. Pastors can go get help there and you won't tell the church, right? Right. No, we don't have uh, we won't tweet it. We won't direct message <laughs> your church. No, we'll not do that. We have we have online small groups just for pastors and they're always full. Yeah. So, yeah. And Andrew, it's a lonely when- place. When, mm-hmm. when a pastor, youth pastor, when they go to a licensed counselor, that licensed counselor, as long as they're licensed, not biblical counselor, because that's di- a different thing, but a licensed yes. counselor, they're not allowed to tell the church. It's so weird. It's so, yes. Yeah, but people Correct. don't fully understand my job. Yeah. Complete anonymity. It's, you know, yeah. it's there. You're not allowed to. It's, it's <sighs> confidentiality is pretty, pretty core to what we do. Uh, but yeah, mostly the, the folks come to me after they've been exposed and their whole life is blown up normally. That's when we get, yep. yeah. you know. Yeah. Okay. So guys, if you are women, if you are married to a pastor and you're listening, go get your husband to see a licensed counselor before their whole life blows up. <laughs> go get them involved <laughs> at xxxchurch.com. There are resources available and there is help mm-hmm. available and we need to stop this. So, Okay. So Good Guys Guide to Great Sex released on Tuesday. Here it is. Woo-hoo. And all three of us have books for guys now. And you know what? There's this, there's this idea out there that men don't read books. But Every Man's Battle, that series sold 4 million copies. And so everyone listening, guys do read books, but they read the wrong ones. So let's <laughs> read the right ones. Correct. Good Guys Guide to Great Sex. Carl has when right. shame gets real behind him. Um, and I had Carl yeah. on the podcast. I don't know if it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago now talking about how to talk to your son about masturbation. It was excellent. Um, Andrew, you have your newest one is how not to be an ass, which yes. I love. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That one's, you know, if you're dealing with issues of abuse, um, yeah. you know, and just want to want to be a better man. And then also in this category, I have the psychology of porn and mm-hmm. the sexually healthy man, those two mm-hmm. books as well. Yeah. So 
check those out because guys need to read healthy books and these are great alternatives. So thank you so much for joining us and for walking through the stats with me. I really appreciate it, both of you. Thanks for having thank me. you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I'm glad that they thought that the stats were in line with what they thought they were going to be. That made me feel yeah. That made me feel yeah. better. <laughs> and that they made sense based on what they've yes. seen in their experience. Yes. Right, working with men. Yeah. You know. And again, they were just reiterating what we've been saying for such a long time, which is we should not be treating this like something which they can't get over and having such a defeatist mm-hmm. attitude. Yeah, I think what what's been said in the Christian Church for the longest time is, you know lust is every man's battle all these kind of messages are all men are just wired like this and you can try your best but it's just who you are guys Mm -hmm. you know and and to me that's such a defeatist attitude i mean the idea that almost half of men have some relationship with pornography to me that should make us stop and think you know that should make us reevaluate what we're doing how we're treating women how we're talking about women but the good news is it's not most men. Most men mm-hmm. can defeat this. Yeah. It's not a obstacle that you will never overcome. Um, and it, it's, it's about having the right attitudes. It's like, I love Andrew's way of putting it. Like, do we devour beauty? Do we consume beauty? Mm-hmm. Or do we honor beauty and, and admire beauty? Yeah. Like, that's sort of the, the difference, I think. Yeah, exactly. You know, what was funny in the survey is that we actually presented scenarios that were in the books for women only and every mm-hmm. man's battle. Yeah. The the things that these books told us men typically do. And yeah. we're like, I don't think yeah. men do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think they ever say men typically do this, but they do say things like, you know, perhaps you're a guy who has let a woman go up the stairs ahead of you, not to be honorable, but so you could check her out. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps you've taken a peek down a woman's blouse, you know, when she bends over. Perhaps you've sat in a car in the parking lot of a gym and watched women going in and out of the gym and masturbated. What? And it wasn't even a car. It was like a rental car. It was yeah. oddly specific. Oddly. Yeah. But <laughs> these are things, like, they just throw them in there and it's like, really? And I think a lot of guys read these books and, and they that sort of stuff just glossed over because you didn't realize... Like, that's not my experience, so maybe that's other guys' experience. Mm-hmm. But but anyway, so we felt that to give the true picture, yeah. we had to actually ask all the options, including the options that these books put in there. Uh, and I thought, these guys are going to think we're a bunch of perverts. Like, yeah, because <laughs> well, yeah, every man's battle talked about, um, you know, getting, like, lusting because a mom is getting a child out of a car seat in the grocery store mm-hmm. parking lot. So she's bending over in the minivan, and that's going to cause you to lust. And... So we did that as one of our scenarios. Mm-hmm. Very few men lost it. Like, yeah. We're talking under 10% in all yeah. of the scenarios yeah. that we gave. Yeah. This is just exactly. not a huge thing. And so, yeah. um, again, a lot of men think they're lusting when they're just noticing. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is because most of these books teach uh, lust. Like, one of the things we do in the church a lot is sin leveling, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it doesn't matter if you're a serial killer or you hate your neighbor, they're the same thing. You know, Jesus said, whoever hates his brother is a, like worse right. than a murderer or whatever. You know, they quote these things. They sin level everything. And so lust is like that. So so it's really, when you take a glance at a, down a woman's shirt for a second, mm-hmm. it's only you're only a hop, skip, and a jump from masturbating in a, in a parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it's presented, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that in the church, we teach lust as don't go down that pathway because that's the pathway you're going to go down. And all men are wired and designed to go down that pathway. Mm-hmm. Instead, we need to teach men that, you know, there's a, there's a way of looking at women that's healthy and there's a way of women looking at women that's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. 
there's a way of women looking at women that's holy and a way of looking, looking at women that's unholy. Men are going to find women attractive. I mean, women are attractive. <laughs> and and men, are, men are wired to find women attractive because that's the way God made us. But and vice a, versa. Women are also and vice wired, versa, yes. And vice versa. But there's a difference between finding someone attractive and lusting after them. And it's exactly like Andrew says. It's are you devouring? Are you consuming? Is it about you and your pleasure or is it about seeing the image of God in the other person and about respecting her as a human being um, and that sort of thing? Yeah, there's also there, there's a line that you put in The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. I'm pretty sure you're the one who wrote this one mm-hmm. or else you had this thought well, and it, then I wrote it. But I think I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, but but it's the idea that, that we see lust as an assault on yeah. men's purity mm-hmm. instead of an assault on women's personhood. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. see the, the victim of lust as the guy because now he's not pure yeah. as opposed to the woman that he has objectified. And we see mm-hmm. this throughout the book, Every Man's Battle, where you know the, the 30-something guy has sex, quote unquote, whoops, like ac- accidentally with a 15-year-old in the youth group where he volunteers. Mm-hmm. And this is seen as how awful, because now look what has happened to his life, mm-hmm. as opposed to how he has affected yeah. this victim. Yeah. And to me, that's a perfect example of how we should be looking at how we think of women in the church. Mm-hmm. Because if that's just a, oh, well, ooh, whoops, he slipped, you're, you're fundamentally not respecting and appreciating women and to me that you're just in a totally different world than I'm in as far as how you relate to women. And they really do, like the the books really do present predation as normal. Like Mm -hmm. men who who rush home from work so they can masturbate to their neighbor sunbathing in the backyard. I forgot how many like examples there are of this in these series. Oh yeah, or or, or the guy Alex who masturbates to his sister-in-law who's asleep on the floor while they're watching a movie. I mean, these are all examples of predation that are described as stuff normal men go through. And so we measured a lot of these things and no, they don't guys. This is not (laughs) normal. The good news is that the guys in our survey did not close their computers in anger and say, what a bunch of perverts. They actually filled the survey out and we found that in fact, most men are decent, honorable guys. Yes. And, and so I think that's good news. Okay. I want to switch gears. Okay. Okay. So we talked about guys. I want to talk about some of the issues that women have and especially around responsive, spontaneous libidos and orgasm, because that's a big part of the books as well. Right. And before I do that, I just want to reiterate something that we talked about last week, which is that in general, frequency is not the main issue. Mm -hmm. You know, people will get upset about why doesn't she want sex more? We don't have sex enough but when women frequently orgasm when there's high marital satisfaction when they feel emotionally close during sex when there's no porn use when there's no sexual dysfunction frequency tends to take care of itself so frequency isn't the main issue and i was talking on social media and on the blog this week that if something is really awesome you don't need to be convinced to do it Mm-hmm. And so if we need to convince women to do this, maybe there's something wrong. And I gave the illustration like nobody has to say, here's some chocolate cake. You need to <laughs> eat it and force you to eat chocolate cake. What I need to do is force myself not to eat the chocolate cake, <laughs> right. right? Like that's right. the hard part. And so a woman writes and she says, my husband is very attentive to my needs and always makes sure I have an orgasm, but my libido is still low. An ongoing issue in our several decades of marriage is him feeling upset that I rarely initiate. He takes it personally, especially because he tries so hard to make it enjoyable for me, which then leads me to feel guilt, anxiety, stress, and obligation. Like he is saying, here, I worked really hard to make you this awesome chocolate cake, and I still don't want it. (laughs) We have had many conversations about it, and I always communicate that it's not about him. 
but I just need or want it far less frequently than he does. Whenever he asks or initiates, I oblige, but I still rarely initiate. In all honesty, and I don't want to hurt my husband's feelings or insult him in any way, I would typically rather sleep. Mm. All right. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I have some. I have a first Okay, well, well, why don't you go ahead and you say your first thing and then I'll, I'll jump in. Maybe she honestly just needs more sleep. <laughs> like, like, I think we discount that. Yeah. Sleep is a serious marriage issue. I talked about it a lot in The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex because it's one of the biggest libido killers. Yeah. I mean, you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like there, there are certain needs that need to be met before we're going to meet other needs. Like there's your basic things, food, water, sleep, shelter. Mm -hmm. Those are basic. Mm -hmm. And sex is far down the list. And so it could very well be that she mm -hmm. just needs more sleep. Mm -hmm. Maybe we just need to go to bed earlier. Well, that's probably true for sure. Yeah, because if, if people, I think what often happens is people don't head to bed until they're exhausted. Mm -hmm. And then, and that's when someone would typically initiate. Mm -hmm. And so you're lying in bed, it's like 1120, and you're really tired, and you have to get up at 630, or whatever it might be. And yeah, you're not gonna want sex. And, and if she is saying that she would typically rather sleep, and some women honestly will even, have sex and have an orgasm and still feel like I would have prepared, I would have rather gone to sleep. Like maybe there's actually a sleep deficit going on mm -hmm. because we sleep less today than they did in 1945. And in 1945, they slept less than they did in 1845. <laughs> like I think, I think we're at about two hours less yeah. than they did. And it may be, we're all just chronically exhausted. <laughs> yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, I know that when we were in, uh, we were in Africa and there was not as much electricity when it got dark, you just started getting tired. And we, we were asleep by like eight or nine, like usually. Yeah. So Yeah. And so this might be an issue. And if one of you is more chronically exhausted than the other, uh -huh. it might be an issue that there is an imbalance in the marriage that needs to be fixed. Yeah. So maybe the other person needs to take on more so that your spouse isn't as tired, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. Well, the other thing I was thinking about that when I was listening to that whole thing is it sounds like they have a good relationship. Mm -hmm. It sounds like there's not a coercive element here. It's not like he's demanding stuff from her, that sort of stuff. But it sounds like she just has a very responsive libido. Uh, and we talk a lot about that spontaneous libido versus responsive libido. And I think a lot of relationships, the husband has the spontaneous libido and the wife has the responsive libido. And so the husband feels like she doesn't want him mm -hmm. because she doesn't want him the way that he wants her. Um, but if, if you get her excited and then she really wants it and you have a great time together... That's yeah. that's still a good thing, and that's not that's just a responsive libido. So I think that, that a lot of guys need to realize that that's not necessarily means that their wife doesn't want them because they don't have a Hollywood style, want to jump your bones kind yes. of thing. Yes. But I think the other thing too is that you know in her case, it sounds like she really enjoys it. It sounds like it's a good experience for her. It's something that she she likes. It's not something that she feels that she has to do. Um, but it is something that he would like to do more. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, then, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with her sort of saying, you know what, this is something I'm going to prioritize because I, my husband's special to me. He, I care about him and I, I want to I want to be a good good to him, mm -hmm. not out of obligation or fear, but out of just wanting to be generous. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes initiation, you feel like, well, I'm just not really in the mood and this isn't something that I really want right now. But if you know it's going to be awesome mm -hmm. when you start. Mm hmm 
then just start. Yeah. Well, you, your study in the Great Sex Rescue found that women, it didn't matter how they felt at the time, as long mm-hmm. as they knew they would enjoy the experience, they had the same positive feelings about the sexual encounter afterwards. Exactly. Right. Whether they were aroused or not, whether they were you know totally excited or not before they started, as long as they knew they were going to get aroused and yeah. they had a, a high confidence they were going to reach orgasm, then mm-hmm. after sex, they had the same blissful comfortable yeah. relaxed feelings and that's a big thing speaking of relaxed i think that's often something that women don't don't realize too okay i'm gonna get tmi here <laughs> oh my gosh i know what story you're gonna tell okay okay just don't don't skimp on the details <laughs> <laughs> but i i remember once um, and i tell the story when, when i speak a lot at my girl talk which hopefully will be starting up again next year after uh-huh, covid we can yeah. start going on the road so if you have a church that might be interested in a sex talk i give a really good sex talk so just yeah. email uh and and i do have a talk that we that we go around churches and give and we also have a marriage talk that we the do two of together us give, yeah. so yeah. Um, the girl talks we, just for the women right the girl so. talks just for women it's really fun anyway i remember one time it was 15 20 years ago i was going away and i was speaking for the weekend and so mm. i left on a thursday night and mm. i got home on sunday night and wednesday i was packing and i was thinking about my talk i was stressed. just not stressed not there and yeah. I, I but i knew that you wanted something and we didn't do anything and I just felt weird leaving because I felt like you were a little disappointed. You weren't making me feel guilty, but it was just that odd, you know, that that, that tension there. And then I get back Sunday night, I'm exhausted, so nothing happens. And again, I don't sleep well because I feel like you're disappointed and I'm disappointed and I feel like I did something wrong. A lot of women overthink things. Oh, I totally overthink things completely. So I didn't sleep well. And then we were kind of prickly all day because we we were dancing around each other, weren't sure what everyone was thinking. (laughs) And then that night we, we did have sex and I slept like a baby and i started realizing oh my gosh i sleep so much better after sex and so now when i'm exhausted i'm just like come put me to sleep baby and it works great she tells that she sells this story in her girl talk and it's just like uh yeah that's what every guy wants to hear come put me to sleep (laughs) but you know it works (laughs) okay it it, it truly it truly is very relaxing yes uh, and people do sleep well you get that oxytocin and all stuff it it does it does make you sleep well so it's a really good if you do have problems with sleeping and if you're just tired it might be good to engage in sex before remember it's orgasm though it's not it's not intercourse it's orgasm that's right if you're not reaching orgasm this can actually keep you up at night yes that's true so yeah yes again this is why sex is supposed to be mutual speaking of that super got a question we have another question um i'm not going to read the whole thing i'm going to set the stage and then i'll jump in uh part way through her question so they wanted to wait for marriage, okay. but they didn't, and she regrets that. But when they were having sex before marriage, sometimes she would reach orgasm, um, so she can reach orgasm. She says mm-hmm. quite quick, like normally, fifteen to twenty minutes okay. is all she takes, so she's totally in the normal range, okay. uh, even a little fast, like she's good. Um, but she didn't reach orgasm very often because he didn't spend enough time. Mm-hmm. But she didn't want to speak up before marriage because they weren't supposed to be having sex anyway. Then their honeymoon, they had sex daily, but she didn't reach orgasm because he wasn't taking care of her. And this continued after the marriage. Uh, and so this is what she says. We did talk about this and I know he loves me and is very attracted to me, but he gets so excited that he forgets sometimes. I do believe him when he says this, but I've been asking him to slow down and be more intentional. It's gotten better, but I am so hung up on the hurts from the honeymoon and the conversations that took place after. He said, I am too much work and he doesn't want to engage in that. 
He makes me feel so unwanted that he sees it that way. I know some of what he said was out of hurt and frustration because of this topic. And I don't want to put too much weight on his words because I honestly do often bring up stuff at the not the best time. <laughs> I have such a hard time balancing speaking up for myself and prioritizing both of our pleasure while not feeling resentful. He stated once he would prefer to have sex daily and honestly, so would I. But then it doesn't happen and it leaves me confused. And I believe it's because he doesn't want to engage with me and do the work mm -hmm. so you know they're still right. having sex quite frequently but she's not reaching orgasm because he's not doing yeah. the work and so yeah. she's feeling badly because she doesn't want to initiate anymore yeah, yeah well i mean I, I obviously i always find these hard because you don't want to you don't know what's going on in the minds of other people but mm -hmm. it seems to me this fellow has adopted the mindset of sex is sexual intercourse with a man's ejaculation Mm -hmm. And that is what sex is. And it only takes X number of minutes. Mm -hmm. And all this other stuff you want to do is an add-on to that. And so she feels like she's imposing on him, asking for that. Right. That's kind of the, that, that's sort of the feel I get from it. Um, because he says he wants it every day. But then when he actually has to make it good for her, he doesn't. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to put in the work. Yes. Right? So... That, that, I think that that's kind of what's going on in his mind, it sounds like. Yeah, and I, I think honestly that this comes down to the definition of sex. Yeah. I think what you're saying is true, that he's seeing sex as intercourse where he mm -hmm. has a climax, and so therefore we are having sex. Mm -hmm. But intercourse or sex is supposed to be something which is mutual, intimate, and pleasurable for both. Mm -hmm. And if it's not being pleasurable for her, if he's not even trying, mm -hmm. then that isn't real sex. Yeah. And she's like, I'm still doing, I'm still going through the motions, but I'm getting more and more resentful. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering why? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you going through the motions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, so she's, he's saying he doesn't want to put in the work because basically if he slows down that makes it a good experience for her, that's a lot of extra work, which doesn't give him anything extra. Right. Right. Well, if that's the case, what he's saying is the work ratio to what I get ratio is like, not optimal for me mm -hmm. but when she gives him sex and he orgasms but she doesn't i would say that the work ratio mm -hmm. for the pleasure ratio for her is pretty low yes. <laughs> right yes. or pretty high there's too much work for not enough pleasure yes right like so she should say like like i'm not willing to put in the work of letting you have sex with me mm -hmm. if it doesn't give anything for me like, and i think like i mean yeah. maybe that's a little harsh but that's sort of I, I actually think that this is really true. And yeah. I, I think that we need to empower couples to do this more. Mm -hmm. Because sex is not just intercourse. Mm -hmm. God does not say you are required to have intercourse in which yeah. your spouse ejaculates into you, yeah. but you do nothing. You get nothing out of it. That is not the way the Bible talks yeah. about sex. We say this is the very beginning of both books, the definition of sex. Um, it's in The Great Sex Rescue as well. It's the, it's the beginning of all three books. What is the definition of sex? Mm -hmm. Let's go back to it. Mutual, intimate, pleasurable for both. And what that means is that if your spouse is putting in zero effort to make it feel good for you and is just using in yeah. your body you do not have to consent to being used mm -hmm. it is perfectly fine to say to your spouse i want to have an amazing sex life with you mm -hmm. i want to have a passionate sex life where we feel great and we feel cherished and we feel close and we feel ecstatic mm -hmm. but what i'm not willing to, to do is be used mm -hmm. and so at the point where you want this to be something good for me I will be happy. I will be ecstatic right. to do that. Hmm. But 
I am not going to keep doing this the way it's currently being done. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to consent to that. Yeah. If he is saying... Because well, you're, you're just basically saying it's too much work for me. It's too much work for me to make because sure that it feels good for he's you. he's saying it's too much work for him. Like you can say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and again, this is something that I think is not properly understood. Yeah. And this is why this man really needs the good guy's guide to great yeah. sex. He seriously needs it. So yeah. please, the letter writer, give this book to your husband. And if your husband doesn't want to read it, there's an audio book he can listen to on the way to yeah. work. Because I know a lot of guys don't necessarily want to yeah. read the book. We've heard from a lot of couples where they're just reading a chapter at night. Yeah. The chapters in the men's book are shorter than the chapters in the women's book. There's more of them we didn't do that like because men don't read as much it was it, yeah we don't it buy just that worked it just worked differently the way we were writing the books um but they're easy to read at night but one of the big things that we say and that we really want men to understand mm -hmm. is that if she doesn't orgasm through intercourse the way you do she's not broken exactly because yeah. i think that that we feel that the responsibility for her getting pleasure is on her shoulders and that's exactly what i was just about to say is we have this mentality as men sometimes that sex is easy sex is quick for us and we expect it's going to be that for her and when it isn't well obviously something's wrong with her no i mean this is normal female physiology i mean they take longer to reach orgasm, you know, when with their husbands, then the husband t reaches with his wife. Uh, that's just been the case. Now, women are capable of reaching orgasm very quickly. So I was careful not to say they can't reach orgasm as fast as men because, you know, there are studies that show that they can in the right conditions. Yes. Um, but generally in the sexual encounter, like in a marriage, they take a lot more warming up. And that's just the way they are made. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, you as a husband have a choice to see your wife as broken or to honor the way God made her and take the time and energy to make it feel good for her. I mean, that's that's your choice as, as the husband. And we we really try and say in the good guy's guide that there's only really one choice in that situation. So I hope that helps. But I think that we do need to empower people to say, hey, mutual, intimate, pleasurable for mm -hmm. both. That's what sex is supposed to be. And I'm going to work for that in my mm -hmm. marriage. And I'm not going to be treated like an object. And, and honestly, the, the sooner you do this in your marriage, the better. Like, don't put up with being an object for 12 years and just get more and more resentful. Deal with it earlier. It's so much better. Okay, as we are wrapping up on launch week, few things to share. First of all, if you've been part of the launch team and we've had like 400 people in our launch team, it's yeah. been great. Awesome. Uh, that's about to end, but we have a Patreon. So if you want to be part of an exclusive Facebook group, um, it's really fun. There's, mm -hmm. there's multiple posts a day. We have unfiltered podcasts. We have merch. We have all kinds of stuff. Um, you can join for as little as $5 a month. The money helps support the stuff that we can't monetize. Mm -hmm. So, um, our research, getting some new podcast series out, not this podcast, but another one, all kinds of stuff. And, um, it also is paying for us to get transcripts for this podcast. And I'm hoping to start that in a couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. I'll put a link in the, in the notes. Another way you can support this blog is Nick's bras. I totally love Nick's, pro Nick's bras. Like I was always an underwire girl and then I found Nick's and they're so comfortable. It's, it's like the, the, the bra company is focused on bras that make women feel comfortable and, and look great, but don't hurt and aren't, and aren't awkward. And so I love them. I'm going to put links there. When you purchase from my links, it helps support me. That just helps the blog keep going. And Finally, encouragement. I have a new review for The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, the all-new version that I want to read to you. We did The Good Guy's Guide last week. So a woman writes, this is a book that's helpful without pushing the obligation sex message. Wow. This book on sex inside a marriage could really prove to be revolutionary in the way that women, 
men and couples think about sex. Too many marriage books that address sex rely on broad stereotypes and generalizations, with many stating some version of, men will desire sex more than women, and women simply need to give their husbands more sex. This book actually dives into explaining the sexual arousal cycle and helps both women and men understand the intricacies of how to excite a woman, how to build her desire for sex, and then gives very practical advice for moving through arousal and orgasm. The book identifies the real or perceived differences between libidos and helps women and couples understand that simply because many women do not reach orgasm in the same time and manner as most men does not mean that they are broken. Rather, it helps women reframe their view on what intimacy and sex should look like to ensure that she also is experiencing the full enjoyment and intimacy that sex can bring. By identifying the difference between a spontaneous and responsive libido, this book could help resolve a huge amount of miscommunication between husbands and wives. Kind of like we've been talking about today. (laughs) For those who feel like they may have gaps in their understanding of the basics of sex or anatomy, this book starts at the very beginning for helping women and men to understand the often elusive landscape of women's anatomy. This book will be my new go-to book that I give to engaged women. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, and I really want these books to be the go-to books for engaged yep. couples. Yep. If you've been married for a while and you still haven't figured this out, they're great for that too. But yeah. you know, if we can get these books in the hands of engaged couples, then maybe in 10 years, nobody will need the great sex rescue anymore because <laughs> we won't believe any harmful stuff. Yeah. And that would be that would be wonderful. That'd be awesome. So thank you for joining us on this podcast during launch week. Thanks for all your support. We really appreciate it. And we will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.